Hello and welcome to Out and About Imolovians. I'm your host, Jeremy Barfer. As part of my job as Member of Scottish Parliament, I get to travel around Malovians, meeting interesting people and hearing about how the companies, charities and projects that they work for benefit and contribute to our community. On this podcast, I will share their stories. On today's episode, I'm looking forward to talking to Lindsay Jackson from the Edinburgh Fringe. Lindsay, we're a few weeks away from a yet another Fringe. For those that don't know the Fringe, maybe those that don't live in Edinburgh, don't live in Malovians, what is the Fringe? So the Fringe is, in my opinion, the greatest thing on the planet. So what it actually is, is an arts festival, and it's a performing arts festival. So there's work that covers um, across ten genres, from children's work to spoken word to theatre, dance, um, comedy, etc., but um, And it takes place every year in Edinburgh for three and a half weeks um, in Scotland's capital. And it is a mad explosion of ideas and creativity and culture and people that just want to tell their stories. Um, and I recommend everybody comes to it. Now, when you say everybody, does that mean just people that live outside Edinburgh, like visitors? Or is there any place for your local Edinburgh resident to get involved in this? Oh, I don't think there is a fringe without local Edinburgh residents. I think that lots of people think that Edinburgh is very distant from the festival, but actually there are hundreds of um, Edinburgh, Lothians and Scottish artists on the stage. There are programmes of work that support them. Um, we have a huge, our, our largest ticket buying audience is Edinburgh residents. Uh, we have the programme of work on the street, which is all free to access and family friendly. That's mostly um, Edinburgh families and, and people from around the area coming in for the day. Um, and I do genuinely think that without the residents of this city, this festival wouldn't be nearly as successful as it is. So it's very much, we would hope, belongs to, to Edinburgh. Now, obviously, Covid's not quite a distant memory, but it, it is now a couple of years. Is the fringe different post-Covid or is it got the same feel, do you think, or would it have the same feel? I think it's always got the same energy um, in that because... And again, this is where Edinburgh plays the starring role because the unique geography of this city is is so compact and you're sort of stumbling around things. I think you will always have that vibe. But what we're seeing in Edinburgh and what we're seeing in um, across the cultural sector more widely is a lot more, I guess, what you would call domestic tourism. So our audiences from Edinburgh, from the Central Belt and from Scotland and the Northeast, um, they are much more prevalent than, um, say, our international audiences. We've never had a huge international audience anyway. Edinburgh have always been really strong supporters of it. Um, so I think that's one of the biggest changes is that the audiences are much more local. Um, which is great because that actually gives people a chance to get in really deep uh, and really uh, sort of try lots of different things because it's literally on their doorstep. None of us in this room are old enough to remember the first thing. <laughs> but as you talk to people, as you talk to colleagues, how has it evolved? Do you think it feels similar to that over 70 years ago? So... I think in some ways it's exactly the same and then in some ways it's completely unrecognisable. So the thing um, the thing that the Fringe holds central, and certainly the Fringe Society is the sort of custodians of, of this 76-year-old festival, is that it's open access and that it's a platform for freedom of expression. So, you know, 1947, those eight companies being told they weren't allowed to be part of the international festival and they were like, fine, we'll do it ourselves. That is, that's a really sort of critical 
principle for the fringe um it isn't for us or any individual to say who can or can't take part it isn't for us to say your work is or isn't good enough um and i think that's the thing that 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 is the same and has always been the same and hopefully will always be the same that everybody can come you know and and tell their story and everybody can come and find the audience that want to to hear that um one of the things that i think is it's obviously evolved a lot in terms of um you know it started as a very much a theater festival it's moved more into sort of um, different ranges of performance lots of people think it's just a comedy festival which is always fun um lots of people think it's all one festival even though there's five happening simultaneously so um i think the evolution is um it's obviously gotten bigger and it's gotten more varied in its approach but it's always held that um we absolutely have to have uh the space for everybody who wants to take part we want to give anyone a stage and everyone a seat and something has become commercialized that you are now the scene of the festival is that a fair criticism that actually it's just the big boys that come now if i'm a a one-man performer if I'm a small theatre club in Pitlockley, there's no space for me. Oh, that's absolutely not true. Um, well, actually, I guess the thing with the Fringe is it's so big, it's almost like a city, in that it is everything is simultaneously true and untrue. So there is a there's a large body of work at the festival that's in what I guess what you would call more commercial venues, um, and they are producing commercially viable you know, work for onward touring internationally. But then there's also loads of venues that are entirely um, available to emerging artists, people, community groups, individuals. There's the whole area of the free fringe and the um, the pay what you want fringe, which allows artists to, particularly in the comedy sector, to come and have a go at uh, reduced risk. So I think there's all different versions of, of the fringe that are available to everybody. Um, I think it is difficult um, to participate, but actually locally people have an advantage in that, that they're not having to factor in all of those sort of transport or accommodation costs that can sometimes be a major barrier. Um, but the, I guess the big, the big distinction between us and, say, the International Festival would be that the Fringe is not subsidised. So the Fringe artists who bring the work are ultimately the ones taking that financial risk. They find the money to invest in their show. They take the risk to earn that revenue back um, and to hope that that investment is really good for their career long term. Um, so, yes, I think the Fringe would be very grateful to, uh, to have the same funding as International Festival. But um, we are where we are. I suppose I started kicking off the fringe in the kind of early 80s, mid 80s, and there were people that you kind of saw who are now really international stars. Mm. Is that still happening? Are there people that you think you might meet in August, watch the show, and you think in five years' time there will be a big performer? Is that still the route that some people take? Yeah, it is the it is the route for some people. I mean, we're we're having this chat the day after Vigo Man, is it? It's just one Britain's Got Talent. I don't, is that what it was called? Yeah. Lo- Thank you. Uh, and he's at the Fringe this year. And and you you quite often um you do get these sort of stratospheric career rises. Um, our president Phoebe Waller Bridge is a relatively recent example of that. But um and that does happen. And uh, there are lots of lots of ways that people get launched into um the sector. But actually, I think what happens more is the fringe is the thing that converts people into doing what they're doing their artistic career full time. So it starts to become less about becoming a superstar and, you know, the next um, Stephen Fry or the next Phoebe Waller-Bridge or the next Six the Musical and actually just becomes part of a career pathway 
and a circuit that allows people to just uh, artists to earn a good living doing their work and I think that's often forgotten about that it doesn't have to be um you know fame or famine it can actually just be a really good well well earning job for you year round and you can you can have your professional career be the thing that you love doing and um your artistic expression so but it does still happen there are still some big talent spots the guy last year who got I can't remember his name he got one audience member in for his show and then he went all viral and now he's like he's got a great following so there are there are still those sort of um undiscovered gem moments that happen in the fringe every year so you've been here 10 years I have how do you end up doing this (laughs) um so I, my background's in theatre, uh, so I, before I did this, I was a site-specific theatre producer in Northern Ireland, um, loved it, there's nothing more fun than making performance work in spaces that there's not supposed to be performance work in, uh, we made shows in taxis, in churches, in graveyards, in toilets, on the streets, it was really brilliant, and um, the Fringe was, the Fringe is a really interesting, for me personally, because um, I really believe in the right for everybody to, to have a go and I believe that everybody should have the right to make the work and tell their stories and if you have a an impulse to tell a story then The Fringe is one of those places where you can do that and um, I was a terrible terrible actress but I'm a really good administrator if you need stuff done I can do it for you so for me the um, the drive to do this comes from I know I'm really good at what I do and I really love what they do at the other end of it so you know the things that happen on the stage I want to be in the audience and I want to be cheering along and I want to want to see the show um, and that just keeps me going and keeps me interested and the Fringe's unique model of being open access and allowing that freedom of expression and the opportunity for people to participate and speaks to you know to me uh, I never would have been able to have not have done any of this for for um without being paid for example you know working class kid from Birmingham doesn't you know get the opportunity to do internships at the BBC and that sort of thing so it fits really nicely with my values and ultimately I really love sitting in fringe shows it's the best honest the best bit of the job is just sitting in fringe shows I think sometimes I'm just a professional audience member mm-hmm. Obviously, we can't sit in our lows. You know, we've got competition within the UK, within the rest of the world. And for a number of years, I think there's been a debate going on within the city, even within the country, about where did the fringe go over the next number of years? What's your vision for it? And how do we hold all the tensions together? It's a very good question. I think our vision as a as an organisation who are responsible, I guess, to not to control the festival. That's not the job of the Fringe Society. Our job is to help make sense of it for the people who want to take part in it. And, you know, we, we last year launched a new vision and values, which was rooted on this, give anyone a stage and everyone a seat. Um, and that comes with our development goals. And really it's about making sure that the festival is inclusive, that the festival is... Um, responding to the cultural sector that the festival is responsible to the city that hosts it every year you know there's a there's a huge um there's a huge debt of gratitude there to the city i think um the challenge is always that a festival of this scale is always going to be difficult and there's lots of negative story about the cost of taking part and the cost of accommodation the impact on people's lives and i think what we need to do is 
sort of collectively and put some collective action behind championing that there's nothing else in the world quite like the fringe and it would be really great to see that being joined up across the city across the scottish government across the stakeholders within um and i think that's that that's the thing that the festival really needs to think about collectively is um how do we um champion and challenge the things that we stand for which are um, ultimately that everybody should have the right to participate in this festival and then well, what are the barriers to that participation and we've been working on identifying and breaking down those barriers um, for many many years now and we make progress in one and then you know we find a new hurdle in another one but um, I think the future of the festival is ultimately in the hands of the artists um, and if artists want to come to the festival um, because they think it has value to them then our job and the venue's job and the city's job is to understand what attracts them here um, what potentially stops them and to make sure that the widest range of voices can be heard at this festival because that, that's the thing I think that's really critical is that it is it remains truly open access and that's the thing we need to be guardians of long term. You said earlier that a lot of the audience come from Scotland, from the north of England. What about acts? Are they still coming from across the world or again are most of the acts within the United Kingdom? Uh, most of the programme is within the United Kingdom. Um, we have a really strong um, showing from Scotland every year. Last year it was sort of 900 and something. I can't remember. I don't know what it is for this year, actually. Uh, and then some from Northern Ireland and Wales. A huge contingent from England. Um, there's always a large show of English artists. And then usually about 20% of the programme is international. Um, lots of North Americans, lots of Australians. Um, an emerging uh, sort of presentation or representation from South America. Um, it's challenging for those countries with currencies and things. And the fringe is an expensive endeavour. Um, so it is very it is very much a UK showcase um, with that sort of international flavour on top, which I guess is the inverse of the international festival whose whole ethos is to bring in that international work. Um, so yeah, it's a real opportunity for um, talent across the UK to showcase their wares to the world. So, so, so give us some advice. I, I'm <laughs> pitching up here on a Monday, right in the middle of the, the fringe. Um, how do I just say, you know, I get your big lit and I open it up and I think, wow, as a professional audience <laughs> uh, groupie, how do I decide what to go to? Can, can you give me some clue about what do I decide, how do I decide, if any way that yeah. you choose? Um, I can give you some tools. I think that's the thing to remember. Um, we talk about the Fringe being an open access festival and there's no artistic director, um, but there is. It's you. You're the artistic director of your own festival experience. You are the curator. And when you've got 3,000 and something shows that's really tricky um so everybody has their own different approach some people like the program and they like to circle things uh, that's quite intense uh, there will be um we have lots of really great search tools on our website the app is coming back for this year and has that really cool functionality which is nearby now uh, which allows you to sort of look at shows that are on in the next hour within a, a radius of you so there's all of those practical tools but ultimately if you're here and the festival is happening my advice would be is to talk to the artists who are on the street flyering uh, to talk to other people i've never worked at any other festival where you will oh somebody will be talking about a show in a queue and somebody will be like what show was that and then they'll write it down i've been in you know a, the courtyard and somebody's been like i've got a spare ticket for this that starts in 15 minutes do you want it and i've said yes uh, i think there's an there's an element of um allowing yourself to just have a go um i think you should come into it knowing kind of what you like but you should also be very open to the fact that 
you might not know that you don't like it. So mm-hmm. I'm less... I discourage people from going down the genre. I only like comedy. Because there's loads of really, really funny theatre and dance and, and music. Um, there's loads of really funny children's work. So I think you have to you have to be open to, um, to being uh, influenced by the people that you talk to. And then my other advice would be ask people what they've seen and ask them... Um, you know, if you've got areas in common, there's a sort of doppelganger effect. If you've got a buddy that you know you've got the same taste as, what are they watching? It's kind of more Spotify, less Amazon, I think. You know, things that, that nudge you into slightly more interesting things. Um, there's things like the Half Price Hut, Two for One Days. There's, there's, there's free shows. There's lots of opportunities to take a risk. And ultimately, um, not everything is for everybody, but most fringe shows are an hour. So in the grand scheme of things, an hour of your time... Uh, you know, maybe eight quid it's to listen to somebody tell that story and, and also to give that artist the chance to present that work and understand if it has an audience. You just have to you just have to go with it. Um, I've seen shows based on two word reviews before. Um, so, yeah, it's, it is tricky. It is really tricky, though. I, I, I time is kind of coming to an end. So let me ask my always my last question, which is, uh, you know, I give you a magic wand. What? would make the fringe even better? If I had a magic wand, I would invent some sort of scheme that lets artists be paid to make their work. It's really tricky for artists to make work um, in the margins of a full-time job, for example. And that really worries me because that means, you know, if you can't afford to not work, then you can't afford to be making work. And I really don't want to lose all those stories. So my magic wand would be uh, you know, an artist income or an artist bursary. We did some of that this year with the Keep It Fringe Fund where we were able to give 50 artists and groups uh, £2,000 each, no strings attached. Hopefully that really transforms some of those narratives. But um, it, it feels very route one, but my magic wand would be money. I think this festival um, puts a lot of risk in the hands of artists and I'd really like to do more to support artists and to... For that risk not to be the end of everything, I think it's unfair that if you're if you're a broke artist, you only get one shot at the fringe. And I, you know, some people the only way to, to to learn something is to fail and try again. And I'd really like more artists to be able to have that opportunity to try and fail and try again. Thank you very much. It was so great to hear from Lindsay. The city is looking great. The sun shines out, and we're ready for another exciting fringe. We'll put the link to the website in the show notes. And you can go to it if you want to find out more. Thank you for listening to Out and About in Malorians, and I look forward to catching up next time. Mm-hmm.